Hi, hello, how are you? My name is Elizabeth Dale and I am a Cornish writer and blogger with an obsession with local history. And this week, certainly not for the first time, I have mostly been trying to escape the realities of modern life by immersing myself in the past. So, kind of nothing new there. But today, I want to tell you the story of Sarah Polgreen a woman who was hung outside the walls of Bodmin Jail in front of a crowd of onlookers in August 1820. Now there are some articles about her online, but sadly they either get some really important facts such as her age completely wrong, or they just miss out much of the details of the story. And I just want to try and change that today. So what I'm going to tell you comes from original research from parish records and um, newspaper archives of articles that were actually written at the time of these events. Now we have to bear in mind that reporting at the time was very prejudicial against Sarah for a number of reasons which I'm going to try and touch on too. And of course you have to remember that I kind of have my own agenda as well. I'm going to try and be unbiased but... I have kind of formed my own opinions about this story. So when we're talking about crime and punishment, murder and execution in Cornwall, I think that there are a few names that most people will be familiar with. I kind of touched on the story of Michael Weeks, the murder on Bobbin Moore, back in episode 14, I think, when I told the story of Somerset Anne. And I think a lot of people will have heard of the Lightfoot brothers and the murder of Neville Norway, But there are many, many other stories that just fly underneath the radar because the details weren't exciting enough or salacious enough or the characters just didn't capture the public imagination. So, for example, in 1820, very unusually for Cornwall, there were actually two hangings in one year. One was a young man called Michael Stevens, who was hung for killing a ram and stealing its carcass. And the other was Sarah Polgreen for killing her husband. It is fair to say that Sarah, who was sometimes known as Sally, had a bit of a rough start in life and things just didn't improve for her. She is said to have been born Sarah Tremaine in the parish of Golville near Penzance in 1783. But I actually haven't been able to find a birth record for her and that could be for a number of reasons. It could be that she was never baptised, it could be that we have her name wrong or her place of birth wrong or her date of birth wrong. But what we do know is that her father died in an accident when she was very young and that her mother abandoned her to the care of the parish when she was just four months old. This would have meant that she was probably brought up in some kind of workhouse, um, a sort of a ward of the parish. And as if that wasn't bad enough, um, there is suggestion that she was badly treated, uh, even abused as a child. At some point, Sarah made her way to London, and again, there is a suggestion that she made her living there as a sex worker. 
One Cornish newspaper reported at the time of her trial that she had lived her whole life as a prostitute um, when there is absolutely no indication of that whatsoever. Um, it is probably much more a reflection of the snobbish, prudish Victorian sensibilities, the, the view of her as a fallen woman, um, that you know it was easier to explain her actions if she was, she was bad. Eventually, Sarah married a soldier in London, and it has occurred to me that Tremaine may have been her married name with this man rather than her birth name, and that's perhaps why we, we can't find a baptism record for her in Cornwall. Anyway, this uh, marriage, this relationship didn't last long. It, it turned sour very quickly, and Sarah returned to Cornwall. She married Henry Polgreen in Ludgevin Church on the 20th of July 1811 when she was 28 years old. And Henry, we know a little bit more about him. He was three years older than Sarah and the son of John and Mary Polgreen, one of six brothers and sisters. I haven't been able to establish what Henry did for work, but I do know that um, his brothers were farming near Marazion and another brother, John, who comes up later in the story, he was running a beer shop. It isn't clear whether Henry knew about Sarah's previous marriage or not, or the fact that she was almost certainly still married when she married Henry, obviously making their relationship bigamous. That is, of course, unless her first husband had actually died. But anyway, for the next nine years of their life together, we, we know nothing. Um, nothing eventful happened. And as I said, I, I don't know what Henry's trade was or even exactly where they were living other than it was the Ludgevin area and possibly the village of Crowless. Anyway, on Saturday the 15th of July 1820, so we've jumped forward nine years now, Henry Polgreen met Dr Richard Moyle at a blacksmith's shop and complained to him that he was feeling unwell. Moyle was the local surgeon who was in partnership with his father, who was also called Richard. And it seems that he knew Henry socially somehow. Um, it was later said that the two were in a club together, although it, it, it's not specified what that club actually was. Anyway, Henry told Dr Moyle that he was feeling dizzy and that he had a pain in his stomach. And the doctor took Henry home and bled him, which was the kind of catch-all for, for everything uh, in those days. And Sarah was there too. She told the doctor that she had some stomach salts, um, which Moyle agreed she could give to Henry. And Moyle also told Henry that he should contact him the next day if he wasn't feeling any better. And of course, he didn't hear from him again. Henry actually died on the 18th of July, aged 40, and was buried in Ludgevin Churchyard a couple of days later on the 20th, which was the couple's ninth wedding anniversary. And at that time, there was no suspicion of foul play. It's really hard to know where the rumours that Sarah had killed her husband started. It seems that it was common knowledge that the couple didn't always get on. A year before Henry's death, Sarah was selling sweetmeats at Lalant Fair when she bumped into a neighbour from Ludgevin, a man called John Rogers. And he claims that on that day she quiz quizzed him about a young man who was a, a mutual acquaintance of them both. And she told him that her husband was a very jealous man and that she planned to get rid of him. 
So I guess it was it was fair to say that it was common knowledge that the pair weren't 100% happy. But it seems entirely possible that the rumours actually started from a man called James Tonkin. Tonkin claimed to have seen Sarah buying rat poison in Penzance on market day um, a few days before Henry died. And there is some suggestion that this is also the same day that Henry consulted Dr Moyle, but I don't know that for sure. Now, Tonkin was a butcher and says that Sarah came to him at his stall on Saturday the 15th of July and asked him if he would go with her to a druggist shop that was run by Mr Harvey and her son John. Sarah had told him that she'd heard rats scratching in the walls of her cottage for the last couple of days and apparently Sarah had already tried to buy rat poison from the Harvey's shop but Mrs Harvey had refused to sell it to her because she didn't know her. So Tonkin went with her to the shop, vouched for her and she bought a penny's worth of arsenic from John Harvey. Then on the 27th of July, so this is after Henry's funeral now, James Tonkin bumped into Sarah in Penzance and noticed that she was dressed in black. Tonkin must have known her really well because during this exchange he calls her by her pet name Sally. Apparently he asked you know what's the matter Sally to which she replied Henry is dead and buried my dear since I saw you last and he was only ill for three or four days. Tonkin obviously says he expressed surprise at how quickly this had happened and said to her that the rats must have been a token of Henry's death by which I suppose he means it was some kind of a sign, to which Sally replied, yes, they must have been. Now, maybe this is a good time to pause and talk about the illustrious career of arsenic as a convenient poison. So arsenic is a naturally occurring mineral, and for hundreds, possibly thousands of years, it has been a favourite method of bumping people off. It is flavourless, odourless and ever so convenient to mix into food or drink. Um, And it's been given the nickname the King of Poisons or my favourite, the Inheritance Powder. Symptoms include vomiting, diarrhoea, abdominal pain, basically kind of symptoms that could be mistaken for many other natural diseases or conditions. Up until the Arsenic Act of 1851, it was also fairly easy to purchase from your local druggist, especially if they knew you. And there was no surefire way of detecting its presence in a dead body until the 1830s. In Victorian England as well, it was also absolutely everywhere. It was not just in the sort of obvious places of rat poison. It was literally in dozens of household products, including cosmetics, wallpaper, paint, fabric dyes. So sort of everyday life was awash with the stuff. And and people were, of course, very aware of its nefarious uses as well. There was this sort of um, well-established trope, even at the time of the events that we're talking about, that it was the, the poison of choice for every wife who wasn't happy with her husband. The popular pre- press, they really played up on this narrative of the fickle, faithless, evil woman plotting against her poor, unsuspecting man. One paper actually wrote, Poisoning has become an epidemic the witchcraft of modern times. So my question is, was Sarah Polgreen the victim of a witch hunt? So it seems that after Sarah's encounter with Tonkin the butcher, 
the rumours really started to spread and someone, it's not clear who, made the decision to dig Henry up. So Henry Polgreen's body was disinterred on the 31st of July, 12 days after his funeral. Now the day before this happened, however, a woman called Joan Minnett, who was a neighbour of Sarah's, stopped her and asked her why she had done what she had done. And apparently Sarah didn't answer at first and then she said, I would never hurt my husband. And Joan then said to her that she knew that she had bought poison and Sarah said, well, yes, she had, but there was no one to say that she had given it to him. Sarah told Joan that she had bought the arsenic because there were rats in her house and that when she came home from market she mixed it, a little of the poison that is, into some dough which she intended to feed to the rats and then she put that dough in the pantry and left the rest of the arsenic on the dresser. Joan suggested that maybe she had used that dough to make a pasty for Henry, but Sarah said no, he had had fish and butter that night, um, and that he may have mistaken the leftover arsenic powder for sugar because he was really fond of sweet tea. Or she also said that perhaps he had eaten some of the raw dough without her knowing. There are some suggestions that Sarah had mixed uh, the arsenic into the butter instead of the dough and that Henry had ingested it that way. Um, but it's sort of equally divided between the newspaper articles. Some say the butter, some say the dough. And of course, I, I am going to suggest that no one actually knew at this point what had happened. So the day after this conversation between Joan and Sarah, Henry was disinterred and his body was identified by his brother, John. Henry apparently had some kind of deformity of his ankles or his feet and John is said to have been able to identify him because of this. And then Henry was examined by the two doctors, Richard Moyle and his son, Richard, the one that had spoken to Henry at the blacksmith's shop. Now, at this point, my research does get a bit fuzzy because we know that Richard Moyle Jr. removed Henry's stomach and took it home with him. And then he is said to have run tests on the stomach contents. Now, it isn't clear what tests he was actually able to do to detect arsenic because the Marsh test, which was the first real forensic toxicology test, was not really in, in use until the 1940s, so like 20 years after these events. In the newspapers, it mentions him mixing the stomach contents with charcoal or something like that. Anyway, Moyle decides that Henry's stomach lining is inflamed and that there are arsenic crystals in the contents of his stomach. And that really was it for Sarah. She was charged with poisoning her husband. And apparently just before she was charged, she was heard to say, Tonkin, Tonkin, you have ruined me. You have undone me. Which I'm guessing, you know, Sarah is referring to James Tonkin and, and the rumours that he has started that have led to her being suspected of poisoning her husband. One newspaper goes a little bit further and they add on to that quote her saying, if I am hanged, I will come again and I will tear him to pieces, which is slightly melodramatic, I feel. Anyway, it's also worth noting that Sarah was actually charged with petty treason rather than murder. And why, you might ask? Well, 
Petty treason was brought against an individual who was thought to have killed their superior, such as a servant murdering their master or a wife murdering her husband. A reminder, I guess, should we need reminding, that a woman was considered the lower sex, the the less important individual at this time. Anyway, an inquest was held at Ludgevan Church Town at the beginning of August, and then Sarah was taken to Bobham Jail to await her trial. However, I think it's important to note that all the newspapers that reported on this initial inquest at Ludgevan, they said that the evidence against her was purely circumstantial. So the actual trial was held at Truro over three days from the 7th of August 1820 until the 10th of August. And all through the proceedings, apparently the courtroom was completely packed. Sarah's defence lawyer was a Mr Williams and on the first morning after the charges against her had been read, she was asked how she was going to plead and she answered not guilty in what the reporters described as a clear audible voice or a confident voice and as the days passed however the evidence really started to stack up against her in fact I'm not entirely sure what defense if any Mr Williams Sarah's lawyer um, the one representing her actually presented to the jury the vast majority of the witnesses um, seem to have been against her The judge and jury heard from James Tonkin, the butcher who helped her purchase the arsenic, and from both of her neighbours, Joan Minnett, the one that had accused her openly of killing Henry, and also from John Rogers, the man that had seen her at Lalant Fair. There was also another neighbour, Elizabeth Martin, who said that she had heard Sarah say, quote, she would be damned if she would not poison that damned villain. End quote. Uh, and according to Elizabeth, this was Sarah referring to Henry. Now, Elizabeth's evidence was one of the ones that struck me as a little bit odd. She was apparently extremely nervous or upset or agitated or something. Uh, and she kept fainting and eventually they had to, to get her a chair to sit down on. Of course, it's entirely possible that she was just you know had a nervous disposition anyway her testimony was pretty damning (laughs) sorry unintentional pun um elizabeth also said that henry was the jealous type and that um she had seen sarah the day after his funeral and asked her if she would marry again which i find a really odd question to ask a widow the day after her husband's funeral anyway sarah said that if she would it would be for love because she hadn't really loved henry much more than you love a dog Another witness was a man called John Tremarthen and he had seen Sarah a couple of months before Henry had passed away and apparently she had told him that she wished that he would die so that she could marry again and when John Tremarthen asked her who she would marry she said Thomas Sampson. Tremarthen implied that while she was saying this that Henry was in earshot. Now I looked into it and there were a couple of Thomas Sampsons living in the Ludgevan area at the time. Both were unmarried and both were a bit younger than Sarah. So the question has to be, did Sarah have her eye on a younger man or he said that Henry was in earshot, was she just trying to make her husband jealous? 
And speaking of jealous, there was a witness, a woman called Jane Jealous, who told the court that she had stayed at Sarah's house for nine days after Henry's death, presumably, obviously, to to give her support. And Sarah had told her that she had given Henry salts, presumably the salts that she had discussed with Dr. Moyle, and that he had died two days later. Henry's mother also gave evidence as well. She said that she had seen her son a couple of days before his death and that he had complained of a burning sensation in his stomach and was drinking lots of water, uh, lots of cold water to try and help it. And then finally, there was a woman who lived next door to the Pole Greens, a Frances Renaudin, and she told the court that she had never seen any rats around the house. Um, In fact, the coroner had searched Sarah's house and said they had found no evidence of vermin. But considering that we know that even today you're never more than a few feet from a rat and given that this was a very rural setting um, anyone that lives in the countryside knows that there are rats everywhere they are just part and parcel of everyday life so I find it really hard to imagine that Sarah's house was completely pest free So you can see all the evidence is really just stacking up and stacking up against Sarah. But I hope you can also see that all the evidence, in inverted commas, is literally just hearsay. It's just gossip. The only person who said anything that would be vaguely taken as some kind of defence of Sarah was actually Joan Minnett. Now, she was the one who told the story about the dough that had been made for the rats um, and then the poison pasty and how Henry might have mistaken arsenic for sugar. Well, she also told the court that Sarah said, quote, she would not do such a thing as kill her husband for a lap full of money because if she could not agree with him, she would have just parted, end quote. And yes, I think that's it, isn't it? You know, she could have done what she did with her first husband. She could have just left. Her and Henry, they had no children together. She had no other family. There was nothing tying her there. She was very used to looking after herself, had done since her childhood. So the question has to be, why would she kill him? And of course, I go back to the the fact of where is her defence? There is literally no mention of her lawyer, Mr. Williams, in any of the reporting after that first day. But of course, we have to bear in mind that what the newspapers chose to report may have been bias as well. Anyway, it's all by the by because the jury took just a matter of a few minutes to reach a guilty verdict. And Sarah was sentenced to death by hanging and her body to be given for medical dissection. She fainted when the sentence was read out and had to be carried out of the courtroom. And I guess what bothers me now, some 200 years after, is the simple fact that she had A, no need to kill him and that there was really very little evidence against her besides hearsay and gossip and the fact that she had bought some arsenic. But of course, I mean, I'm, I'm no fool. 
I am well aware that the chances are that she poisoned Henry um, with everything that everybody said about them and their relationship. But I just really wonder with that lack of evidence whether she really should have been convicted to hang and whether she was just convicted because it was all so juicy and so delicious and so exciting to imagine that there were all these unhappy wives out there that wanted to kill their husband. But isn't it entirely possible that Henry ingested that poison by accident? So sadly, we have to bring this story to its end, to its inevitable conclusion. But there are a few more little snippets of information that I think are really telling as well. So at 12.30 on the 12th of August, 1820, the doors of Bobbingell opened and Sarah Polgreen was brought out to face the waiting crowd. It was two days after her conviction and less than a month after the death of her husband. And at this time, hangings were still very much public events. Sarah was taken to the scaffold on a hurdle, which was a kind of rough and ready horse-drawn cart that was driven by the unnamed hangman. She climbed the steps to the rope unaided, and then she said prayers with the vicar, Reverend Ferrier. Then she sang a hymn called Come Let Us Anew Our Journey Pursue, which was one that I really wasn't um, familiar with. So I actually looked up the words and found that they had been written by John Wesley. And it's a really fitting. I, I can see why she chose this particular hymn. For example, the second verse reads, Our life is as a dream. Our time as a stream glides swiftly away and the fugitive moment refuses to stay for the arrow is flown and the moments are gone. And after singing in what the newspapers describe as a clear voice, Sarah asked for someone she was expecting to see in the crowd, a woman called Kelly. But that person either wasn't there or, or didn't want to come forward. So according to the report in the Royal Cornwall Gazette, Sarah was obviously looking around for a friendly face and she recognised someone else, a young man. And he came up and spoke to her for a few moments. The newspaper wrote that they shook hands very affectionately and that she asked him to remember her to certain friends. Now, I can't really help but wonder who that man was. Was it this Thomas Sampson? Perhaps that, that man that she said one day she would like to marry? Anyway, Sarah continued to pray while the rope was adjusted around her neck and until the newspapers put it, she was launched into eternity. She was just 37 years old. Her body was left to hang for an hour and then she was taken to a barn nearby and dissected by three doctors. Her heart was taken out and preserved. Now, the Royal Cornwall Gazette says that Sarah confessed her guilt and maybe she did to the vicar in private, but I have not seen that reported anywhere else. And they also wrote that she said that her husband had been right to be jealous and that it was, quote, her aversion of him that was her only reason for killing him. But I'm really not sure how they know any of this. 
What we do know for sure is what she actually said, her final words to the crowd that had come to watch her be hanged. And those words were widely reported and obviously heard by everyone that was there. And she only told them to take her fate as a warning and to avoid bad company. She did not say that she was guilty of killing her husband. And by bad company, I I can't help but wonder who she meant. Was it James Tonkin, perhaps? The man that she probably blamed for her conviction? Was it all those neighbours and friends that had turned on her and given evidence against her? Was it Henry, maybe? No one really spoke ill of him, but I found it really odd that no one really spoke of him at all. We don't really know what kind of man he was. As I said, we don't even know what work he did, what he looked like, nothing at all. And of course, there is Thomas Sampson. Perhaps he was the bad company, this young man that she apparently had a fancy to marry. If we are to believe that she poisoned Henry, did she feel that Thomas Sampson was the cause of it all? There are stories that Sarah Polgreen's ghost haunts Ludgevan churchyard dressed in a pale shroud with the shadow of a rope around her neck. Who knows, I have never seen this ghost. But I can't help feeling that this poor woman's spirit has every right to be restless. And that is it. That is what we know of the life and death of Sarah Polgreen. And I'd be really interested to hear what you think about this story. Was she guilty of poisoning Henry? Was it an accident? Do you think that she should have been convicted on the evidence that was presented against her? I'd really, really love to hear your thoughts on this one. So yeah, please do comment. Um, I've been researching Sarah Polgreen for a little while now and um, I guess maybe I've just got a little bit too close to the action. So yeah, I'd love to hear your thoughts and please don't forget to like, to comment and share and subscribe and all those things. Um, I would really, really appreciate it. And also, if you feel like um, lending a little bit of support, please pop over to my Patreon page if you just search for patreon.com forward slash the Cornish bird and you'll see um, all the the information right there for you I really appreciate your support I really appreciate you listening and yeah please do comment I'd love to hear what you think about Sarah Polgreen's story okay that's it from me thank you so much for listening and I'll see you next time